When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Good morning and welcome in to the 24 7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast on National Recruiting Analyst Tagging alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivins, and producer Lance Glenn with an L, not Lance Ginn. I have a friend named Lance Ginn. I get those two confused if you're wondering why I'm talking about that right now because this is take number two. This is like the third or fourth time this has happened, so I'm getting frustrated with that. That's neither here nor there. Mailbag episode today, typically on a Wednesday. We appreciate the guys and the ladies who have submitted very good questions. Five questions a week that we get to. I'm excited about this. It's like the third or fourth edition time that we've done this. We've gotten some really good questions. It's later in the week this week. We had Chris Hummer on yesterday to discuss 30 under 30, his process for that at 24-7 Sports. If you're interested in that, you can find that at 247sports.com. Also, the feedback has been great. We're riding high right now because Shane Beamer and the South Carolina Gamecocks gave us a nice little shout-out yesterday as they put out a hype video before fall camp. Nice little voiceover there, boys. And guess Can what? I, wait, Lance, big, cue it up. Big, uh, yeah, man. Cooper, we had a little surprise for you. Here we go. Everyone, if you hadn't heard it, you'll hear it now. ...from a program standpoint, both in the short term and the long term, than where they are now under Shane Beamer. And got to be excited with what they got coming back this year and you got to be excited about what they're building i don't expect them to be done and like i said he's got his fastball working right now south carolina's one of those teams guess what if you weren't respecting him before you, you better respect him now i can't remember the last wow played I, twice i love it it's um would you run through a wall for that voice andrew i would that was deep that like got my juices flowing yeah, I think I was fired up for college football. Now it's like, all right. Have you have camps, either of you guys ever seen here. have either of you guys ever seen the music video like The Boys of Fall? Maybe. No, but that that got me thinking immediately. Like, wow, I always wonder what my voice would sound like with Friday Night Lights intro in the back. Mm. That's what my wife said when she heard it. She was like, "Wow, this really reminds me of Friday Night Lights." <laughs> that was the feel. Their video department's awesome. I've always thought that they do a great job. And it's funny, I got a I got a couple of texts and I was like I think they put it out yesterday afternoon or typically you look at your phone and you're like what is going on? And then I opened it up and I saw that and that was not what I was expecting. Andrew, you and I always talk about you you talk about all the time being clipped for the wrong reasons. Yeah, Glad we waiting. got a little positive PR there. I'm waiting for Colorado to to come at me. <laughs> the Charles got a bullseye. Yeah, the Charles Lester announcement had me a little nervous last week. That's all right. Good day for the boys, though. 
That's our fr- that's our first. I think that's our first time being posted on a uh, on a hype video. Was that the first time you've been posted on a hype video, though? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No one was no one was posting you on hype videos during your uh, your uh, front office days, your uh, <laughs> director of recruiting days. I don't, I don't think I was recorded very much, to be honest. I didn't True. I didn't have a podcast. Was, that wasn't he, really something I was doing. He was the one directing the creative department to there you put go. those videos together. Speaking of man, yesterday I just went down memory road when we were at Oregon. We had uh, one of the best creatives I ever worked with, probably probably the best. It was this young guy Harris Myers, who was like 21 at the time, didn't go to college. We hired him straight as a designer. Man, he did some really cool things, and you know we brought it up yesterday with like Chris Hummer, but those guys don't get enough credit. You know they do such a good job and. It it is fascinating. Like to me, I don't I don't know about you guys. You can tell the difference between a program with a really strong creative department and one that doesn't. For sure. And yep. I like the difference in terms of branding and awareness, and it almost creates a little bit of like a wind at your back, right? And the and the people that notice the most, I've realized, are the players. Well, think about it. I mean, we're that generation is living on X threads, primarily Instagram. Like that's where it matters. It doesn't matter to, to us. It doesn't matter, you know, to the common fan. It's that's where the branding, I think, really pays off. And if you talk to recruits, like they'll bring it up. Oh man, this this school's got fire edits or whatever they'll say. Like, I think that's where it really pays off. I think it's a little bit of a balance because I remember coaches, you're dealing with a different generation that think that a graphic really moves the needle. And they do at certain times, but they, and, and this is really where it comes down to like, all right, you really have to know the individual that you're recruiting. I remember when we were at Oregon, it was like, hey, we got to send JT to Malau a graphic every day. And it's like, Okay, maybe after the second or third day, I, I think, you know, this has really kind of lost the effect on him, right? Now it's more about building the relation. Like it's a way of saying something in a different way, you know? And when do they mean something? They mean something on August 1st, right? That first point of contact for the 2025s, those offer letters for the rising seniors, right? You, you got to make sure that those days on the calendar, you have your house in order outside of that if there is a if there's a prospect that it's like they're either committed or you're far down the line and they are just badgering you for graphics listen what i would typically do is like you, you take that into account a little bit and it's like all right we this is high maintenance and you know it comes down to at the end of the day are you going to get your return on investment for it's a it's a little bit of a preview into the into the player and what you're going well, to have to deal with, I guess. That's well, I, I will say, uh, a lot of schools have have great graphics teams and great creatives, but only one school has this. Time in my lifetime, that <laughs> South Carolina was in a better position only from one school a primary standpoint. All right, all right, all right. that's that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, let's uh, let's get to the mailbag, Lance. I'm going to let you take over here. Uh, sure. Well, another good set of questions. Thank you to everyone who submitted them. I will give everyone who's listening a little bit of a 
a little bit of a, a hint as to how to get your questions asked. I favor those questions that are given to us via the reviews over questions that are given to us via Twitter. So if you really want to get your question answered on a mailbag, you can always, of course, comment on the Twitter post that I put up the day before on the 24-7 Sports Twitter, but you'll definitely get it asked if you give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. So a little bit of a hint there as to how to get your question asked for sure if you want on the next mailbag. So let's start with Ryan from Chicago, and we were actually talking about how you guys are going to answer this question before we started recording. How many programs do you think can constantly recruit like national championship contenders if they recruit to their potential on a, on a year in and year out basis? Good question. I'm sure it's a lot. Yeah, this was a lot to unpack. Kind of had me in a, uh, a mind in a pretzel. So I'm going to defer to Cooper here. I got a long list of teams, but I've, I've broken them in, or I should say programs and schools, but I've broken them into different categories. I don't know how Cooper, how did you tackle this one? No, I think you and I, we talked about it before we jumped on here. You had 18 teams. I had 20. And I think a lot of it has to do with conference alignment, where we are right now. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with geography. And then I think a lot of it has to do with proven success. So a lot of these teams, I would give the benefit of the doubt if they have achieved a high level of success somewhere in the past where I would say the modern college football era. And then the other factor into this is obviously the recruiting prowess of the head coach and then whether or not I believe that program can actually win a national championship. So I, I got 20 programs. I went conference by conference and I, and I guess that would be the best way to do it. Lance is maybe go by one through one and then drew maybe, if there's an outlier that I have, or maybe if there's something where a, a point that you want to make based up on a school that I, I have and you have as well, but I think maybe we can just dish it out that way. Okay. Well, so here's my category. So I think anyone that's won a national title in the past 10 years should be on the list. Right. Proof and pudding. That. So that's Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, LSU, Ohio State. You went with the regional conference alignment. I just think with where we are in the current landscape with with NIL and how big that has become, I like my next category is like what I would consider NIL collective powers. And then I have other programs that seem to be financially aligned. And then I have a bunch of like wild cards where I think I think they could take the next step. So why don't you go through your conferences and then I'll kind of I'll kind of chime in where, where I am. But I, I approach it more of like with how things are set up, you know, you're, you're essentially paying a roster, like who's in position to do this. And it, it's kind of the school as you would expect, but I do think there are some surprises and, and we can get into those after you, you kind of go through. your so, list. So, so I think the, the, the key word here too, before we get started is recruit to their potential. Like that to me is the factor in all of this, because there are a lot of programs that I feel personally don't do that. But if they did, these would be teams that would be in the college football playoff picture year in and year out. So that is really at the end of the day, what I'm hanging my hat on is the basis of this question. 
all right, if these teams recruit to their highest ceiling, can they win a national championship? So that's what I'm coming back to at the end of the day. Okay. I like it. So let's, why don't we start with the, uh, why don't we start with the big 10? Okay. I'm assuming there's probably at least three, but Hey, maybe there could be more. Let's the Big Ten, Ten, there were actually four for me. And this one, I kind of went out on a limb. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. And the only reason that I put Wisconsin in, in there is because two years ago, the University of Cincinnati, which was a group of five program, had nine players drafted, I believe which was what, tied for third, only behind Georgia yep. and LSU. That's a unbelievable stat, and that says so much about Luke Fickle. And Andrew, you talk about Brady Collins all the time, the director of, of strength conditioning over there. They just picked up Dylan Jones. I like the work they did in the transfer portal. I'm, I'm scrolling through Twitter the other day, and I see like Bryson Green, the transfer from Oklahoma State. I expect him to get them back on track really soon. And I think Wisconsin is is going to be a beneficiary of their on-field success. And I think you'll see an uptick in recruiting. And I think Luke Fickle is just a different breed. And I love that fit. So I gave Wisconsin the benefit of the doubt. If there were two teams maybe on the bubble, Wisconsin was one of them for me. But yeah, I try to be a little bit liberal with it. That, that's kind of I had them in the in the wild card, and it's for the exact reasons you said. All right, Luke Fickle's there. We know it's going to be a player development program. I think the question with them is, will they be able to recruit nationally? And it seems like everywhere around the country, we talked about it a few weeks ago. I mean, look at look at the top ranked recruits in certain states. They're all not staying in state. So like. How national can Wisconsin get to go find those handful of difference makers that you're going to need? So I, I had Wisconsin kind of in the wild card. Uh, absolutely agree. Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. Again, you know, Ohio State was already in that that first category I had. Are you including USC in the Big Ten? I, I think you, I think you include USC and UCLA if you end up choosing them uh, in the Pac-12 for at okay. least the okay. For next right. season, obviously, we'll talk. You know, next season there'll be. What about? Can I throw this out? You, uh, at you guys do not throw Rutgers at us. No, no, no. I'm not throwing Rutgers at you. Uh, what about Nebraska? You don't think Nebraska sort of falls into that similar category as a Wisconsin, where if they show that improvement on the field, obviously we've seen that improvement with recruiting under Matt Rule. They can kind of get back to that level they were once at, you know, decades ago. Nebraska is an interesting one because. I kind of see them in a similar way that I see Matt Rule at Baylor. Like, I think their ceiling is – Matt Rule's last year, I think they went to a Sugar Bowl, right, played Georgia before he went to the Carolina Panthers. I think Nebraska, in regards to geography and the way the game is being played, I think Matt Rule would have to build that program up to such a respectable point that it's that it would take a little bit of time, but I don't see that in the immediate future. But I will say that he, if, if there is one person capable of doing that, it would be Matt Rule, and I like what he's done through the transfer portal. I think he's got the right formula. 
I think Nebraska is going to be a factor on the national stage. Maybe not in the short term, but two to three years from now, that's going to be a team you're going to have to start paying attention to. But push comes to shove. I I, I, I couldn't put them in there. I'm kind of aligning with what you're saying. I do think Rule is the right guy for the job, but I don't think it would take a few – it's going to take a few years before, you know – they're they've arrived to the point where it's the Nebraska of old. Now, I, I do think they have a, a ton of support. I mean, they have no issues getting fans. They they, they do have a, a solid NIL operation in place with their collective and all that. But it, it's hard to put them in that same category with the rest of the of the Big Ten schools. But I, they were close to making my wild card list. Yeah, that makes sense. How about we head now to the Big 12? And we can include, let's keep Colorado in with the Pac-12, uh, just as we're keeping, uh, just as we're keeping USC and UCLA with the Pac-12. Not that I know if you guys would choose Colorado or not, but let's keep the teams as they're going to be next season. So that does include, however, for the Big Twelve, obviously Houston, BYU, uh, Cincinnati, and UCF. So let's go to the Big Twelve. Would that include Texas had- and Oklahoma as well? And Texas and Oklahoma, yes, correct. So we're doing the we're doing the Power Five conferences as they are as they are this coming season. Three teams for me: Oklahoma, Texas, and TCU. And TCU was the second true what you would call wild card team to me. What it came down to is they went to a national championship in year one under Sonny Dykes. And I believe TCU has top 15 recruiting potential. And you add that with their ability in the transfer portal. You look at what they did this last year. Avery Helm coming over from Florida. JoJo Earl coming over from Alabama, along with Trey Sanders. Jack Besh from LSU. And then they on the high school recruiting trail, you talk about guys like Marcus Deal, Cordell Russell. Hoss Haney next year. Between Sonny Dykes' offensive prowess and their ability to tap in to some of Texas' most elite skill talent, to me, I think TCU is probably the team last year that wouldn't be in this conversation, but, but with what they did this year, and I mean a total surprise, but think about what Sonny Dykes can do if he's got that roster the way he wants it. That's why they made it in for me. I had them as a wild card. I uh, Texas, it's obvious. I think they fall into like the NIL collective power right now. I mean, when you when you look at what they did last cycle, like they are in position to to do what it, what needs to be done. Like Cedric Baxter is a guy that, that instantly comes to mind. I think same with, with Oklahoma, with Brent Venables there. It's just a, a matter of, of, of stacking the recruiting classes. So I, I don't have much to add on those. TCU was, was, was kind of on the outside looking in for me. Makes sense. What if we do now the ACC? Three programs for me, Clemson, obvious, Florida State, the other one, and then Miami. 
do I think Miami is on that track right now? No. Do I think they're capable of getting there? 110% yes. I mean, you think about the money being invested into that program. I think for me, I had every, you know, this is a little bit of a, I guess, a preview of the SEC, but I, I had the big three in Florida all in there, right? And I think all three of those programs are, are super capable. I had all three from Florida as well. Uh, I, I, I think Clemson, obvious. I mean, we had them in the in the national title winner category. I think Florida State. It's interesting, just kind of with the reports you read out there about them potentially leaving the ACC. Like, I think that says a lot about what they want to do. And and they've been in the past. You know, twenty thirteen, they were national title game. I mean, like they've been they've been there. So Florida State, and I think same thing with you on Miami. Like. It'll be interesting you know, what happens with John Ruiz if you, you read those stories, but they got the Canes Collective and all that. So those three, um, for sure, I, I had in there. What about, can I throw a name out there? What about, a, and this might be a little bit of a wild card or a far-fetched, but North Carolina, you don't think they could ever get to that level? So they were a wild card for me, and I wanted to bring them up to Cooper because we've discussed North Carolina and kind of their recruiting in the past. I don't like to me, North Carolina is in the conversation post Mac Brown. Who do they hire? Cause I think that is a potential sleeping giant. Especially if they're in the big 10 post Mac Brown. The only reason they didn't get in there for me is because of proof of concept really. Just haven't done it, right? But I think they can do it. I'm I I'm with you. And I, I completely agree. Who is the guy to go in there and maximize that program from a recruiting standpoint? I mean, Drew, what was it two years ago? We talked about them almost having double digit top two four seven signees, right? They've had an uptick here recently as well. I think North I'm I'm with you. North Carolina is one of the most intriguing programs. To me, I, I got to be honest with you guys. Like, if I ever saw myself getting back into it, which I really don't anymore, but there were a handful of programs to me that always intrigued me from a personnel standpoint. Stanford was one of them, TCU was another one, and North Carolina was the other. And all three reasons, the, the, the alignment was the same with the three. I felt that all three had another gear that hadn't been exploited yet. And I feel like North Carolina is certainly in there. And here's the thing. North Carolina is doing a solid job. But it's like the good to great conversation that really doesn't exist there. Because I think if you ask North Carolina fans, they're probably happy with a 9-10 win season. But I think the ACC is open, and I, I think they, I, I think they got another level to them when it comes to recruiting. And recruits really seem to gel with Chapel Hill. Seems to be a vibey place. I think it's regionally where it's located, and I know recruiting is becoming less and less of a, a regional game. But you got a solid base there. The Carolinas are known for defensive linemen, which is 
essential to building a college football playoff contender, right? You, you keep some of those guys home. I think the state of Georgia is close enough. Right now, I, they have seven guys from the Peach State committed. They, they took a bunch from there last cycle. Uh, and then I think North Carolina is big enough of a, a national brand where if you go into a kid's home in other parts of the country, they're going to realize, you know, they're going to recognize the Carolina blue. So, yeah, I, I'm getting I'm, – I'm aligned with you there. I'm glad you brought that one up. It's not even the other thing. It's like it's not a – it's a – it's an interesting conversation to have because North Carolina, in, in my opinion, they are meeting their marks in a lot of categories. You know, but I just – I think they got a – they got another gear. Who's going to be that guy to push that program to the top? You also have, if you're in North Carolina, Ivan, you were talking about regionally, they're not too far from the DMV area. Virginia, obviously, is just right above them, uh, or a few states above them, at least. Um, and I looked back on that 2022 class, finished 11th, so right on the edge of top 10, I think right behind Clemson, who was 10th. Uh, and they did have two five-stars, Travis Shaw and Zach Rice, in that class. So they how can is, recruit at a pretty high level. How, how is Travis Shaw doing? I haven't heard that name in a while. Beats me, but he was a five-star in 2022 and he signed with North Carolina. Uh, my guess is he probably at least redshirted a year or maybe, you know, didn't play much. Maybe he wasn't in the rotation to freshman. I don't know. Uh, I'm just guessing at this point. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was a great class for them. And, and nine top 247 uh, recruits in that 2022 class. So, Mac Brown's shown that he can recruit at a high level. Is he the guy to obviously take them to a national championship contender? I think that remains to be seen. And, if they'll get there, will they be in the ACC? Will they be in the Big Ten? That also, uh, you know, could obviously very much impact uh, their future outlook. Let's go to the Pac-12. Yeah, this one was uh, pretty short and sweet for me. Oregon and USC. Yep. Which could be both Big Ten teams by, you know, the end of next week. Who knows? Um I guess just being in that landscape, to me, I, I thought the potential of Washington, which I think will come up indirectly here, and I'll bring it up, the potential of Washington, what we saw is 2016 against Alabama in the college football playoff. And it was a blend of a team that was mostly assembled by Steve Sarkeesian, but a team that was coached and developed in a culture that was cultivated by Chris Peterson. So it was a really interesting blend of talent acquisition and player development. So, I mean, you think of the players on that team. I mean, Vita Vea, Buda Baker, John Ross, Dante Pettis, Jake Browning. I mean, they had a little bit of everything. Um, and they were a talented team. And then they, then they ran into a, Freshman Jalen Hurts in Alabama. To me, that that's the ceiling of of Washington. Um, Oregon. What's exciting about Oregon right now when you talk about them is Drew. I mean, we're talking about a lot of teams reaching their potential. I think Oregon is not far off from doing that on the recruiting trail. Like I, I think Dan Lanning and his I think staff, it's here. I think this is it's it, it's happening right now. 
right are pressing all the right buttons so that you you're seeing that uh, right in front of your eyes usc they almost put you to sleep because you expect it elite level skill talent recruiting they're the biggest question we we all know where it's going to come from it's going to come defensively right now with the transition into a new conference how are they going to fare there but certainly usc i mean if usc recruits to their potential at every position they're one of the few programs on this list that is set up for sustainable college football playoff and national championship contending success so i put Oregon and USC, they were both in my collective NIL powers buckets. And at Oregon, it's Division Street. I think that's the name of it. Phil Knight, Nike involved. Again, I, I think we're seeing this take place right now with just what they've done on the recruiting trail last cycle, what they're doing this cycle, already off to a hot start in, in 2025. Like this is it for Oregon. USC, what I wrote down next to them is, I guess we should have brought this up maybe at, at the front end of, of this whole conversation. Like they're an attractive portal destination. And I think that's become, that's obviously part of roster construction and, and recruiting. So they have done it as good as anyone. Like how could they not be there? So th those are the two I had. And I, you know what I also realized when I, I was doing a little research for this? Uh, two years ago, Oregon or USC signed a recruiting class that ranks 70th. That had totally slipped my mind. Finished eighth last year, currently ranked 13th here in the 2024 cycle. Clay Helton, as far as I know, is a very good person. For USC to finish 70th in recruiting is a fireable offense, and that's that's exactly what ended up happening. But regardless of the on-field result, that should never happen. I should never even be a thought. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I'm surprised you didn't include a school like, and maybe again, another wild card, a school like Utah because of the way they recruited and just because of how they play, right? Like if Utah gets into a college football playoff, I wouldn't want to play Utah. I think we're seeing the, and this is a lot of credit to Kyle Whittingham, but similar to what Andrew said about Oregon, you're seeing utah recruit at their maximum potential and they continue to kind of move the needle just a little bit more a little bit more every year like for them to go at, down to texas last year and get cj blocker and fend off a lot of teams that were going after him listen if utah ends up making the move to the big 12 i think they're going to end up having a little bit more incremental success on the recruiting trail as well i think that's going to expose them a little bit more nationally especially in that southwest region I agree. Utah's a team that nobody wants to face. Where they play football, they're tough on both sides of the line of scrimmage. High level of football intelligence across the board. They really don't beat themselves. Very well coached. I think that one came down a little bit more to geography and then program potency. That, that's kind of what I was, I, I would chime in on Oregon. I mean, back to back Rose Bowl appearances. You're absolutely right, Lance. This is that's not a team you want to face normally full of veterans, but 
this is the stock is as high as it's going to get. And they finished what 20th last where they finished last year in the, in the rankings. Like, are we ever going to see Utah go in to certain parts of the country and pull out the true game breakers? Just don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, that makes sense. Utah finished 21st last year. Um, yeah, so that makes sense. It makes sense with Utah. Let's finish off with the SEC and want to save them for last. I'm assuming they probably have the most teams, uh, but you know, maybe I'm wrong. Let's go with Southeastern Conference. It just means more. Alabama, obviously. Auburn, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Tennessee, Texas a I had all those. And then I had two wild cards. Actually, I had three wild cards. In my wild cards, Arkansas, <laughs> South Carolina, Ole Miss. Any thoughts on those? No, I'm, I'm digesting. Ole Miss to me is interesting because I thought about Ole Miss and Mississippi State, and I thought about what if one of them was able to clear the hurdle of the other? Right? Like, what if Lane Kiffin was able to put so much distance between himself and Zach Arnett or whatever name at the helm at Mississippi State or vice versa, and you were able to dominate Mississippi? But what's next for you out of Mississippi? You go to Alabama? You go to Texas? Do you go to Louisiana? These are all states that are well, incredibly oversaturated with talent, but at the same time, highly competitive with opponents in your conference. So I list those three, and I think with how things stand right now, yes, you bring up a great point. Like, are they going to be able to go to Alabama and LSU and beat out the in-state schools for certain individuals? Probably not. But what ha- like? I think this is a hypothetical question. So let's say this is 10 years from now and Nick Saban's no longer at Alabama. Does that open the door? I'm just saying, I think these programs have invested enough to, they, they, they want to be in the national conversation. The fan bases are going to fund the NILs and the collectives. I, I, th- those are just the three that jumped out to me in the SEC. It's like, all right, if there's a, a, a changing of the guard at some point in the next decade. Like I think with the right person in place, like you could build those rosters. If you hit on your, your recruiting classes, like you hit on, on your, your 10 through 20. And those aren't going to be the high profile guys, but then you can go out and get those high profile guys. I think we're seeing a little bit right now at Arkansas. We talked about it. Courtney, uh, Courtney Crutchfield. I mean, they got some, they're getting a, a level of kid they have not gotten before. We're seeing it at South Carolina, Dylan Stewart. So I think those those programs could be built is kind of how I thought about it. And just to be clear, they weren't in my 18. They were kind of in that, in that wild card category. Ole Miss, South Carolina, who was, who was the third? Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah, and I hate to get like too much into the weeds. It's just like you get in the SEC West and it's like – well, I'm saying, what if there's no divisions? Right. Well, that super conference, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a battlefield. I'm the one to me that's interesting is South Carolina. 
I feel like South Carolina is so fascinating to me because they because they put so much of social media. No, so much of their recruiting success currently at the time is still tied to what they do on the field. The more they and this might it's so simple minded, but it's true. The more they continue to prove on the field, the more success and buy-in that they're going to have from a recruiting standpoint. And they benefited from what they did on the field last year. Can they do that again? Take the next step? And to me, if they take the next step on the field, then they can take the next step in recruiting as well. And you've seen that. Winning on the field along with what along with what Shane Beamer has brought to that program has kind of opened the door for them to some doors that have been closed in recent years to that program. And I still think there's some doors to open. It's just going to come down to can Shane Beamer continue to show that the trajectory in the of the program is on an upward slope. So Ole Miss is interesting too. Those are three that you that you think about a little bit. Um, any pushback on A and M? No, because I think they are one of the collective NIL powers. I I mean, they signed one of the highest or, or the highest ranked recruiting class ever two years ago. So out of the programs, what do we what do we have? Seven SEC programs that we were in alignment with. And and before we forget this, can we mention this one program? Because I don't I don't want it to be left. Notre Dame. Did you have them on your list? I was actually I was going to bring that up right after we finished the SEC. I was going to say just to I did not have Notre, Notre Dame, Dame on my list. Really? No. And part of that is because I went conference by conference. <laughs> right. So let me let's add in that sixty-four. Why don't you give your take? 60, why don't you 60, give your 60. take on Notre Dame? I apologize to the Notre Dame fans listening. Why don't you give your take on Notre Dame and let me process mine? I it they have to be on the list, right? And people will bring up their results in college football playoff games. But we've seen it recently in some of these recruiting cycles. Like the biggest thing for them is is getting the key on Keeleys to go to Notre Dame. That's how they get over the hump. So I, I think they can recruit to that level. They just need to get those, you know, five or so players and then how do you do that? <laughs> I, I'm not the director of recruiting at 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 a. No, at I think Dame. it's as simple as what I just said with with South Carolina. It's like it's it's proof of proof of concept, right? And I think it's more about Marcus Freeman showing that he's capable of putting Notre Dame in the college football playoff conversation. And then I think those battles, Keon Keeley. Peyton Bowen, Dante Moore, Justin Scott. All of a sudden, you're a little bit more of a player in those than than you thought they were. Than you thought, yeah, excuse me. So, yes, Notre Dame would be uh, in, the, in, in that included team for me. Um, Notre Dame's not far away. And I think they did what they had to do this year going out and getting Sam Hartman, and I applaud them for that. I think that legitimately puts them in a 
in a position where they can capitalize this season. And then outside of that, like, you know, I keep saying we shouldn't get too much in the weeds. I really like their quarterback room. When's the last time we're able to say that? Kenny Minchie, CJ Carr, right? They're in good shape. And I got excited like Tom Loy, who covers the Notre Dame beat for us, does a great job of going out to fall practice and recording video. Notre Dame's got one of those like freshman classes that I'm excited about. Um, but Drew, back to my question in the SEC, and this is kind of a little bit of us doing some off-roading here. We had seven teams included in the SEC. I would say that arguably five of them have the head coaches in place to maximize on the recruiting trail. Two of them are in question, and not so much the recruiting trail, but can they develop that talent to be a college football playoff contender? And my two questions were Florida and Texas A&M. So Josh Heupel is safe? Oh, yeah. I'm buying okay. stock in Josh Heupel. I'm, I, no concerns there. I think offensively, to me, it's more about that defense getting to a place where they can manage to get enough stops and be opportunistic defensively to put the ball back in the hands of Josh Heupel's offense. I don't think Tennessee's far away at all, and I love the way that they've recruited over the last two cycles, 2024 included. 17th in 2022, 10th in 2023, 8th in 2024 right now. Yeah, they got it going. They're on the uptick. To me, Billy Napier is a question mark. I'll leave it at that. I don't think Jimbo is the guy to take A&M to the promised land, but I think Texas A&M is fully capable, and they've shown that. And Jimbo Fisher should get some credit for showing them what they're capable of doing. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Remember, if you want your question answered, make sure to give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Of course, you're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm Lance Glenn, of course, joined alongside by the normal hosts, Cooper Patagna and Andrew Ivins. Let's move on to our next question from Zach. He asks, are you guys surprised? that some of the elite wide receivers in 2024, like Jeremiah Smith, Mike Matthews, and others, didn't choose Georgia even after Dylan Rayola's commitment. So I'm not convinced that Georgia was ever all in on Mike Matthews based on some things that I've heard, um, which is fine. Like, I, I think certain schools, you know, kids can be ranked wherever. I, I think they they obviously make their own evaluations. They stack their board however they want. So – not surprised like Mike Matthews isn't going there, but I think this is more of a number one quarterback in the country is going to Georgia. They've won back-to-back national titles and they don't have a top five receiver committed. So I think when you look through that lens, yes, it is a little surprising with Jeremiah Smith. I like what's going to happen with that recruitment is like, I don't think it's, it's over. He keeps taking visits. I think what happens with Brian Hartline when we get to December could maybe 
alter that. So like I don't think Jeremiah Smith's completely off off the off the table. And that that's me just speculating, but I don't I don't know. I, I've been thinking about this. Like yes, it is a little surprising that Georgia doesn't have this elite wide receiver one type committed. Now they have Nitron Tuggle who's in the boat. Uh although it seems like Michigan's working hard behind the scenes to to pry him away. Um, and then I dug into it. Georgia hasn't signed, I, I, I think, a, a top five wide receiver since George Pickens in, in, in 2019. At the same time, they haven't had a wide receiver go in the first round of the NFL draft since A.J. Green in, in 2011. So is it negative recruiting? I, I, I'm not sure. When's the last time that they had a receiver over a thousand yards? That's the stat that keeps coming up. I googled that; it said two thousand two. I mean, that's that? that's twenty one years. AJ Green wasn't a thousand yard plus guy. Anyway, to piggyback on what you said, I I look at Georgia and I think of like New England Patriots when they're on their dynasty run. Outside of Randy Moss, like who's the guy? Troy Brown, that, that, David Patton. That, that 2002 Georgia receiver was Terrence Edwards. That's a name that rings a bell to either of you guys. I was six at the time of 2002, so it definitely doesn't ring a bell to me. But, uh, yeah, Terrence Edwards was the guy. And he just broke 1,000 yards. He was 1,004 yards. So he, made a, he might have caught a five-yard out on the last play of the season to go from 999 to 1,004. That's a mind blowing stat. The other part of this is, you know, back to back to my point is New England was a very heavily dependent on tight ends in their passing game. Same way kind of Georgia is, right? In Georgia, people would love to talk about the lack of receiver production. Well, that's one thing when you got guys like Brock Bowers there, who's a generational tight end talent. Darnell Washington. Darnell Washington. You think about what they got in the chamber there with Oscar Delp, Lawson Lucky, Jaden Riddell. Pierce Sperlin. more of a – right, Pierce Sperlin. Who, who, the majority of these guys, they were flexed out in high school. So that comes into the picture a little bit. And then you can also argue, if you're Jeremiah Smith – why wouldn't you want to go to Ohio State? If you're Mike Matthews, why wouldn't you want to play in Tennessee's offense? Keep hearing all this buzz about Jalen Hyatt out of New York Giants training camp. Cedric Tillman as well. Tennessee primarily plays three receivers, and if you believe you're talented enough to be in that mix, you're going to play in the most potent passing offense in all of college football. So what I would argue with those two names is Ohio State and Tennessee are better on-field fits. And if I'm Kirby Smart, Drew, I don't know how you feel. I, I think Nitro Tuggle has receiver one capability. And I really like Nycar. And that position to Georgia has really come down to be more of a, a dime a dozen. It's a little bit more expendable. 
So why it might be a conversation for everybody else, I don't think there's anybody in Athens that really sees that as a uh, as a big red flag. And they're in it for Amari Jefferson as well, you know, who's Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, will make a decision here soon. Another guy that just kind of fits them to a T. So I wouldn't be pressing the panic button about, you know, what Brian McClendon's got going on at the receiver position there. I'm with you. I do I, I do think when you take a step back and look at it though, it's like, whoa, okay, like how we consistently praise Georgia's recruiting efforts and you know that how many five stars committed at the at the position. It's 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 certainly interesting, but I, I agree I would not I'm not in panic mode. I am looking at towards twenty twenty five. Like, okay, is that going to be the year they get one of these guys? And it's Alabama already has Ryan Williams and Jamie French. Dallas Wilson's committed to Oregon. I believe Georgia's in on Caleb Cunningham. Kind of one of those freaks out of Mississippi. So we'll see what happens in, in 25 cycle. I did like Cooper, the mention of Brock Bowers, because if you look at the stats, he went, you know, 880 yards his freshman year. 940 yards sophomore if he goes up by that 60 interval into his junior year which is again most likely going to be his last year of college football maybe he is that 1,000 yard well not wide receiver uh that 1,000 yard tight end for Georgia next season um especially with you know I know obviously he was the primary pass catcher at tight end not Darnell Washington but Darnell Washington obviously did have his hands on the ball uh in games too so I uh, I'm all for that. I got my Brock Bowers Heisman ticket. So nice. Well, it's like, why, why don't we have the guy when it's like, were you complaining about not having the guy when you got, when Rock you have the guy in um, Hernandez? It's like the know? Chiefs last year. It's like, it's honestly like the Chiefs last year, right? Everyone was complaining they didn't have the guy, they didn't have Tyreek Hill. Well, you do have the guy. You have Travis Kelsey, who's the best tight end in football. I'll add this on Georgia. I think. It'll be interesting to follow what happens with the two guys they brought in out of the portal, Rob Thomas and and Dominique Lovett. Like if those guys are success stories, why wouldn't Georgia just continue to do that? All good points there. Next question. Let's move on to Dominic. He says, I know the rankings are done based on NFL draft potential. How different do you think the rankings would look if it was projected to how they are now and how they would be in college? Do you think there would be a significant difference between the rankings on NFL draft potential and the rankings on how they would be in college potential or college potential, I guess I should say. Coop, you want me to start I here? Can, I can I can start because uh, I'd love to get your take on this too. This is a question that comes up a lot. And a lot of people, I think, get frustrated with the rankings. Our job between Andrew and I and Lance is I think every time we get on this podcast and we have an opportunity to, to educate, and be transparent about our rankings process, we have to do that. And we also understand that not everybody's going to agree with every decision that we make. But our objective is to have sound logic behind every evaluation. And I think we've done that. So that being said, as context, I think when you look at the, at, at the rankings process, the challenge would be, if you were going to grade them by, let's say, accolades, right? All-American, all-conference, or let's say just multi-year starter. 
there's a level of subjectivity and now all of a sudden there's external factors that come into play in the evaluation process the other part of this is just being blunt not every conference in the power five is created equally not at the group of five level either so if i were to say okay this player is an all-conference player at the pac-12 level is that equivalent to an all-conference player in the southeastern conference no, it isn't. Yeah, maybe at some degree, right? Maybe maybe a Pinay Sewell could obviously have the success that he had at Oregon at a program in the SEC. Yes, that's equivalent. But some other position, some other names, probably not. I think the best standardized way to evaluate these athletes is the direct correlation that the height weight speed factors have along with production and a handful of other variables when it comes to nfl draft projection and success not only from archive data points what we can study the patterns with the nfl how the draft changes year in and year out i think that gives us the best gauge on how to measure players' athletic potential. And at the end of the day, I thought about this. Notre Dame plays Georgia in the national championship, hypothetically, right? And you want to go back and you want to look at the star rankings to see how your team matches up with the University of Georgia, who has put more players in the league over a two-year span than any other team in college football history. And you know that our ranking service is based on how we see players projected to the NFL. But a lot of people push back on that and say, well, we just want to know if they're going to be good good football players. Well, if a player is going to get drafted by an NFL team and they're a top 300 prospect in the country, they're going to be a good football player. Now, maybe we got to do a better job of saying, what, what does that correlate to? What is the What is the level of growth and development that needs to take place for them to ultimately to reach their potential at the collegiate level and there's certainly ways that we can improve and get better and we know that and it's an imperfect process as i always like to say but at the end of the day you you want to see how you match up you want to see where the advantages are i think that's the best way to do it in my mind so i don't know i just think we get into this all of a sudden you're adding more hoops and obstacles and what's what, and then it becomes very muddied. Well, he's a all American here and he's all conference there. And he's a multi evaluate the athlete, take the conferences out of it. We want to see what these guys look like in three to four years and, and where the chips fall. I know we haven't got a, the preseason all, all American teams aren't out yet. Right. There's some of them, not a ton. I found Phil Steele's. And just looking at the first team and the second team, it's like, all right, all these guys are NFL draft prospects. You know, like pretty much every one of them is probably going to get selected on Sunday. So <laughs> I, I, if it would be, I just think it wouldn't, it would be difficult to project to an all American in college and not think towards, you know, the next level Sundays in, in the NFL. Um, Cooper, I, th I thought you brought up a ton of good points. You know, I wrote down 
if we threw out the NFL draft and, and we were just doing the rankings and it was for success on Saturdays, I think, and hopefully this is answering the question, like I think there'd be a lot safer prospects towards the top of the board, higher floor, guys that might be more ready to go. We wouldn't be as concerned with the measurables. We wouldn't be trying to project as much. I think you would see more quarterbacks ranked inside the top two, four, seven. You would see more of that. You would see more running backs. Positional value wouldn't be as important for us in terms of, all right, what are the highest levels of football? How are they constructing their rosters? What are they valuing? What are they looking for? Uh, those are some of the things that I kind of wrote down. I don't know if you would, if you would like Peter Woods would be ranked higher. That's my exact thought. It'd be like a top 10 prospect, right? So it's like all the training camp buzz that comes out of Peter Woods and, and during the spring and now during the fall, once Clemson starts to roll is, you know, Peter Woods, and this is not taking anything away from Peter Woods, Peter Woods might surpass all our expectations in terms of what he's going to be as a, a Sunday prospect. But it is no shock or surprise that Peter Woods is turning heads on day one at Clemson. It'd be a surprise if he wasn't. To me, he's one of the most day one ready prospects. And that's that's the point. Drake Bowen would be ranked differently. Right? But at the end of the day, I guess that goes back to my point. The, the guys that are going to win at the highest level are going to have that surplus of elite-level talent that they develop. And, and it then kinda... it's going to be flipped on its head, and you say, well, then why are you guys valuing production over projection if projection is proven to be the separator at the end of the day? I think a good example of... <laughs> We're about to come out with our top 100, the initial top 100 for the class of, of 2026, right? We've done it, I don't know, since 24-7 sports started. Barton Simmons, Charles Powers, all those guys, you know, they've been doing, doing the lists. And having been involved in that in the past, it was a lot of freshmen that played varsity snaps. And, like, those guys would be – ranked higher and there were definitely some hits but there was a, a ton of misses and as i've, I've been watching a, a ton of a ton of freshman tape year over the past few days you know how, how do you how do you stack and rack these kids well it's like almost every guy's a two-way player and you're trying to figure out all right like where's where's his position ceiling the highest what are the traits and the data points telling me? Like, I think people also need to understand, like, that's how the rankings are are built out from, from the ground level. And I thought what we did last year with that initial top 100 for the class of 2025, I, I think that was great work. I think we'll even be better here in 2026 in terms of identifying players and those players remaining at the top of the board because our process now is crafted, hey, you know, we have a, a a huge sample size of guys that what they looked at look like at a younger age, what they developed into, and you know how they ended up in the NFL. So I don't know if that's really answering the question, but I do I do think it's interesting. Like 
a lot of people look at the rankings from, you know, heading into the kids' senior seasons right now. It's like, well, no, there's there's way more to the story. It's not just a a, a eight month process for one cycle. Like a lot of these kids, you have information on from from the jump. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Let's move on to our fourth question. Nice question there from Dominic. Our fourth one. I don't think this one's going to take up too much time. With how many commitments this is from College Football Trump's NFL was his Twitter name. With how many Love commitments we've seen so far, how busy of a flip season are you guys predicting for this fall leading up to signing day? Drew, I feel like you're more read in on this than I am. But I don't think we're too far off this point last year than where we are right now. You know, I think the last last time we talked is around 80% of the top 247 was was committed. And I think the majority of these teams being done, I think it would almost have to be like a domino effect, right? Um, in terms of you seeing a ripple effect and, and flips and what that looks like. I don't really see a path outside of the normal standard deviation right? Like signing day is typically quiet for us. I, I think you'll see some movement, but I, I don't think you'll see anything crazy in terms of mass quantity. Uh, I think it'll be pretty wild. And go back to last year. I went and looked. All this happened after August 1st. Keon Keeley, Notre Dame to Alabama. Dante Moore, Oregon to UCLA, Caden Proctor, Iowa to Alabama, Cormani McLean, Miami to eventually Colorado, Ruben Owens, Louisville to Texas A&M, Tamarian Parker, Penn State to Clemson. I totally forgot about that one. Jaden Rashada, Miami to Florida to eventually Arizona State, Jelani McDonald, Oklahoma State to Texas, Peyton Bowen, Notre Dame to Oklahoma, Keldrick Falk, FSU to Auburn. Those were all top 100 prospects. All that was after August 1st. We're taping this on August 3rd. I think the flip season's already starting as well. Since July 4th, we've had 14 flips to Power 5 programs. DeMond Williams, Ole Miss to Arizona, um, the German linebacker, Maryland to Alabama, Dylan Johnson, Northwestern to Wisconsin, Adam Kissia, Minnesota to Clemson, Tulaski Abrams, FSU to Florida, Demarcus Riddick, Georgia to Auburn, Harry Thompson, Alabama to Auburn, Joseph Cryer, Ole Miss to LSU, Josiah Edmond, Purdue to Michigan. So I think it's starting, um, and it'll be a gradual kind of burn until we get into what I describe as a silly season, November and December, when the coaching carousel starts spinning. I think when there is movement, and I don't know, it's hard to look through a, a crystal ball, uh, pun intended, and, and project what type of coaching movement there will be. But as soon as those coaching changes start happening, it just opens up the floodgates. And I think what's different now, and we saw that a little bit last cycle, we saw it a little bit a year before, is you know these coaches get hired and it's, hey, I need, I need this NIL budget. I need this. And you have your boosters and your alumni base, new guys in, we want to win. And they, they raise the budget. And now those schools can go to prospects that have been committed to places for a long time. And they can, hey, we can give you this. And that re-engages the conversation. So I anticipate a lot of movement. I mean, 
I don't know, I, I would say maybe one in every 10 prospects in the top two, four, seven could potentially flip. And uh, that that's just kind of my view on it. Maybe I'm just numb to it. It just uh, seems yeah, so normal, you know? Yeah, like I'm numb to it as well. But, you know, those are those are the numbers right there. Like it's going to happen. I think what was it? Ten of the top 20 ranked quarterbacks last cycle all, all, all flipped at one point. Like, well, I think you you said it. I mean, I like if you consider it after August 1st, I think my mind when I read this question typically goes to like November, December and a flurry all at once. And that's really not what it is. Right. It happens from that beginning of beginning of fall, if you want to call it that in the beginning of August, all the way to, I wouldn't call it second signing day, but that first signing day period, there's, there's going to be a, a gradual, gradual attrition, if you want to call it that, um, where you're going to see guys just <laughs> flip in the process. And I think, uh, again, I think the coaching carousel fuels a lot of it. Seniors, season evaluations for some of these programs that have the operations in place that'll fuel some of it and i think the other thing is there's already there's already coals in the fire you know you could probably go up and down the top 247 and prospects committed to a certain school he's visited other schools like those are the ones that are going to flip like you can kind of identify them and maybe Steve Wilfong would be better for that. Um, and then look at the look at the recruiting class rankings. Look at the teams that are are sitting near the top. How's the season going to go in twenty twenty three on the field? I think that also can drive some changes as well. So, if I had to make a prediction, I think it'll be similar to what we saw last cycle, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was heavier spatulas out there and that's just because it feels like more and more guys are committed and no one can sign so i said it in the past like auburn to me is a, is a school to keep your keep an eye on like i think if they if you freeze they have some on-field success they will be looking to flip Certainly, Auburn is school to watch, as are frankly, as frankly as everyone. Uh, and obviously, with the quarterbacks, like you said, I think 10 of the 20 of last year's flipped at one point or another. And some big schools like USC, for example, that currently don't have a quarterback right now in their class. Obviously, all eyes on them to see who they'll go after, if they'll go after anyone. Good question, though. College football trumps NFL. Our last question, we've made it from Nate. He asks, what do you guys make of Ohio State's most recent recruiting misses, such as Marquis Lightfoot? Kingston uh, Villamu Asa and how their defensive recruiting has gone so far. When was this question submitted? Uh, I would have to look back uh, probably over the last few days. Because I'm surprised Dylan Stewart wasn't included in that group. My guess is it was probably before the Stewart commitment or maybe right as the Stewart commitment. I'll look back. I'll, I'll comment as I find it. So I really dug into this, and I have a take here. My concern with Ohio State is the premium pass rusher. Last cycle, 
lost out on Keon Keeley, Damon Wilson. This cycle, uh, Marquise Lightfoot, you, are, you already highlighted him. Dylan Stewart. I know they got uh, Mickens. Who'd they flip him from? Last Joshua Mickens. He was he was a flip. LSU. LSU. I don't think he's in the same conversation as as Dylan Stewart, Damon Wilson, and, and and Keon Keeley. Maybe I'm wrong, but they don't have that that premium pass rusher. So that's the one area where I would be concerned as an Ohio State fan and prospect. I've been. I've circled, or he's not a prospect, a guy that's already at Ohio State, Kenyatta Jackson from two cycles ago. Like to me, he's gotta be the dude because I don't think they have one lined up in the chamber right now. And it'll be interesting to see where the Buckeyes pivot when it comes to those premium edge players. So I do think it's a bit concerning that position specifically. You know, what are they going to do there? Now, looking at the rest of Ohio State's class, I like what they've done on defense, certain areas. Justin Scott committed. That was a big win for them. Bryce West, Aaron Scott, two cornerbacks, Peyton Pierce. Like, I think they're doing fine there. But for me, you know, what is the what's the plan when it comes to that guy that can attack the quarterback and and, and get home and, and make sacks? I think they've I think Larry Johnson has taken it on the chin when it comes to NIL. I mean, because it used to be open season for Larry Johnson on some of the best pass rushers in the land. And Alabama is a formidable force regardless of NIL or not, but you take that into consideration. Talk about Damon Wilson as well. Another guy off the edge ends up going to Georgia. And you're right, Drew. I mean, like, who who is that guy that they have in the chamber? And it seems like every year they have one of the best pass rushers in the country. And right now, they don't have that guy. Now, I think Ohio State's making leaps and bounds improvement when it comes to what they're doing with NIL. And I think they're very aware of that. That is step one. But they're playing a little bit behind. You think about the, the teams that they've lost out to, Marquise Lightfoot. Miami, certainly a player in the NIL realm, right? You factor that in as well. So the other one is like the linebacker position. I like Kingston Viliamu Asa. He's a really good player. I think he's more high floor than he is high ceiling. I think he would have been a, a good addition. But the other one who is at Peyton Pierce, they have committed right now. Yep. More of a guy that I think is fits in the same category. Maybe a guy that is more physically ready to play early, but in terms of long term, there are some limitations. I don't know. Outside of CJ Hicks, I got some question marks about linebacker recruiting with Jim Knowles. You know, so listen, Ohio State. They rank number two right now. Yeah, number two in the country, right? I mean, they got this thing down to a science. But I think you're right to question and, and to ask, do they have a couple holes? And I think they did a good job going out getting Taiwan Malone from Ole Miss. 
I really like the addition of Caden McDonald. I think they've done some good things on the interior. The last place you would expect them to struggle is finding an elite-level pass rusher. But I'll say this. Everybody's looking for pass rushers. It's a premium position. Who gets paid in the NFL? Those guys. Who gets paid in college? Now that we're in the NIL era, those guys. So if you don't have your money game right, good luck. I should point out they also got Amari Abor last cycle as well. Um, they got they got guys. But I'm just saying like that dude. But who's the they got guys, but who's the dude? Yeah. And and they lead on the crystal ball for Edric Houston out of out of Georgia. I don't know if I would put him in like that. All right. He's not a and he's not more of an, an edge body either. So Kenyatta Jackson. Like, I'll be reading Ohio State preseason camp reports. Like, had a ton of exposure to him when he was down here at Shamanan Madonna Prep. Like, they he needs to be the dude because I don't know when the next one's coming. Good, good question there by Nate. Is certainly a dude as well. Yeah, good question there by Nate, and good questions again as always. A long mailbag, but uh, remember to send in your questions via a five star rating. And a review, as well as on Twitter when I post on the 24-7 Sports Twitter page the day before. Coop, I'll throw back to you, my friend. I think that first question was the best question we've ever had in our short history of doing the mailbag. It was up there. It was my personal favorite, honestly. Um, It was the longest answer, and I think it was around like half an hour. But there was a lot to bring down. Yeah, there was a lot to unpack. We did it the right way. Hey, if we're smart, we'll turn that into a graphic. Just putting it out there. Unfortunately, there any final thoughts unfortunately we we're not here? very smart. So, uh, are we gonna are we gonna preview the weekend commitments real quick? There's a bunch on the Ooh. slate. Yeah. You want to you want, want me to run? Let me, want me to run down them or no? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Because what you eighty percent of the top two four sevens committed. We might we might be at eighty five by uh. Monday morning, Jonathan Paler, number 16 athlete. He announces Friday, 6 Eastern time on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. NC State, UNC, Maryland, Penn State, South Carolina, the finalists for him. Crystal ball split between the Wolfpack and the Gamecocks. Gamecocks, obviously, super hot uh, and fans of the show. Coop, I don't know if you know much about this kid. I, I just wanted to highlight him. He has one of the best track profiles in the class. First at States in the 400, second in the 200, third in the 100, also first in the 300 indoor, second in the 55 indoor this winter. Um, had a chance to see him at the Under Armour camp up in Baltimore. He was not on the roster, but I saw him run one route, and I was like, who the hell is that? Quickly found out it was Jonathan Paler. Interested to see where he ends up. I think if he ends up at NC State, kind of like a Naheem Hines type running back, can catch the ball to the backfield. Uh, certainly one to keep an eye on. Saturday, I'll just throw these at you. KJ Bolden, number one safety. He is set to announce then FSU, Auburn, Georgia, and Ohio State, the finalist. Steve Wiltfong's crystal ball is on the Bulldogs, but he wrote Wednesday on 247sports.com that both Auburn and the Seminoles, who were the first school to offer Bolden three years ago, have made this interesting. Gatlin Bear, 
number nine wide receiver. He's also set to announce Saturday, Michigan, Boise State, Nebraska, and Oregon, the finalists. Talking with Brandon Huffman, our guy out on the West Coast, he said he thinks it's a Michigan-Boise State battle, and he, I don't know, sounds like there's some buzz about, about the Broncos there. Bear would be the highest-ranked signee ever for Boise State, or he could be. And then uh, two more, Amari Jefferson, you brought up his name a little bit more. Number 37 athlete, he's from the state of Tennessee. He's announcing Saturday, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, the finalists there. Tennessee baseball commit, or I think he was at one point committed to play baseball at Tennessee. And then Sunday, Nate Frazier, number 10 running back. He is going to pick between Alabama, Georgia, Oregon, and Texas A&M. Kirby Smart and the two-time defending national champs, the crystal ball leader there. Can't remember the last time we were just flying so blind on a recruitment like KJ Bolden. Yeah, I have to get on the 24-7 sports YouTube show this afternoon and say, where do I think he'd be the what's the best fit for him? I don't have my answer yet. And the other one, Gatlin Bear, Boise State, potentially. That's taking hometown hero to another level. Uh Gatlin according to Brandon Huffman, is going to take a two-year mission before he enrolls at the school of his choice. Interesting. The last two guys you mentioned, Drew, I think are a lot better players than what we've talked about. Amari Jefferson and Nate Frazier. Like those, whatever programs are going to get one of those two guys are getting really good football players. Give me, give me the scouting report on Amari real quick. Because you you brought he's him a, up a few times. Yeah, he's you know six foot plus, two hundred pounds. He's stocky. You mentioned the two sport athleticism, very very um, very real. I, I would say he's a guy like short to intermediate, strong at the catch point, and deceptive in terms of run after catch. Like I love his play strength ability. And he's a, one of those other guys I bring up the multi-sport background because sometimes when you watch these guys, they just have a presence and a feel for how to play the game. And he's a gamer, and I like him. And he might not blow you away physically, but he's definitely a more than good enough athlete that you got to respect him. And I like him. I just think he's built for the SEC. I also think he's a super high floor, dependable, smart. And you can see all those things just by watching tape. So I like him a lot. I'm a huge fan of his. Nate Frazier, his tape is uh, fun. Running back out of Matter Day, averaged 11.4 yards per carry. Obviously running behind one of the top offensive lines, but he can scoot. I mean, he ends up at Georgia pairing him with Chauncey Bowens, who's a big, powerful back, 225 pounds. And then they got Dwight Phillips, Jr., the track star we talked about, um, you know, Georgia and, and not getting Jeremiah Smith and, and Mike Matthews. Well, it's like, dude, they're reloading at tight end and, and running back. That seems to be the bread and butter. Yeah, not too shabby. Not too shabby. All right, guys, so make sure you tune in to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel over the weekend. A lot going on, as Drew just highlighted there. Teams to watch, Florida State, Auburn, Georgia, Alabama, all could have big weeks. Boise State, potentially. 
Blue Boise State battle. I don't know how many times we've, we've seen that recruiting battle before, but a lot going on. Guys, we appreciate, as always, taking the time to join us. Also, great questions. We look forward to it next week. That wraps up the week for me, Andrew, and Lance. Guys, we appreciate you listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Have a great weekend.